So why don't we now bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we gather here this morning, some of the more important things in our lives don't seem as important because we're in your presence. And so our prayer is that we would feel the same way that David felt when he said that he would rather spend his entire life as a servant in your house than anywhere else. We ask that we would have that same desire. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to begin with a story, then connect it to an illustration, and then spend a little bit of time looking at a song in the Old Testament that perhaps we've never heard before. Is that okay? All right. So if you have your Bible, I want to open to the first marker for today. And if we were to look at the book of Revelation, if you go to the very last page in the book of Revelation, all right, I want this to kind of set in your mind, and then I'm going to break things down, all right? But if you were to look at the very last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, it ends with a promise from Jesus. And it says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The promise is, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And I know for us as Seventh-day Adventists that we, we long for the day. It's, it's built into the title of our denomination. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We are longing for the coming and for the arrival of the day when Jesus will come. Not just because all of the pain and suffering will end in this world, but we long for that day because we will finally get to be in the presence of the one we've been longing to see. Waiting is hard, not because life is difficult, but because our longing to see Jesus is so immense. See, if we didn't care about Jesus, if we didn't want to be in his presence, then we wouldn't mind waiting. But just like if you've ever been waiting to be reunited with a loved one, the longing grows deeper the longer you have to wait. So I want to begin with a story. When I first started working as a pastor full-time, it was back in 2006, and uh, up until that point, I had jobs, right? So you work at school, you work for your—I worked for my parents— but most of my jobs, for the most part, were minimum wage jobs because that's just what happens when you're a student oftentimes. But when I finally became a pastor in 2006, I started getting direct deposit amounts larger than I had ever had before, which for a young single guy was a lot, but not that much. <laughs> so I remember back then, it was also at the time when smartphones were becoming even a better, more awesome thing. And so I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm a pastor. I need to be, a, you know, people need to be able to get a hold of me. I'm a, I have two churches. I have a bunch of people have to have to be in touch with me. So I decided that I was going to upgrade to my very first awesome phone, and I ended up getting a BlackBerry. Do you guys still remember Blackberries? Yeah. We don't have those very much anymore. But I remember getting my first BlackBerry, and I thought, man, this is the most amazing device. I mean, it just was texting and calling and emails, but it was still so amazing and after about a year and a half of that, I thought to myself, I need to get this new phone. And the new phone was still a BlackBerry, but some of you might remember it looked something like this. And it was the first touchscreen BlackBerry that promised to do basically everything it was already doing, just a little bit better. So I decided, okay, I'm working full time. I can almost afford this, right? Because that was back when you had to break contracts and do all kinds of crazy things with your phone companies. 
And so I decided, you know, I need this phone. I've been working hard. It's been a year. So I was excited. I placed the order, right? I called. I, I didn't do it on the internet back then, but I called the company and I said, here's what I want. They said, great. Here's your tracking number. Here's when you're going to get it. And I remember I was waiting and waiting and waiting and I couldn't wait because for some reason in my mind, I thought a new phone was worth the wait. thought it was going to make everything better. And so I remember the day that it was supposed to come, I wasn't home. Now, that was back in the days when, at least where I lived in the time, they wouldn't just leave the package there. You actually had a sign for it. And I remember, like, I left the house for, like, the shortest of times, and that's when it arrived, when they came to deliver, and they didn't leave it. And remember what they used to do? They would leave a little sticker from UPS that said, sorry, we missed you. We'll try again tomorrow. And I thought to myself, like, I've already waited, like, four days for this thing to come. I cannot wait another day. Like, I'm revealing a lot about myself here, by the way, but just remember, this was almost 12 years ago, (laughs) 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So I said, you know, no, I can't wait. I can't wait. So I looked at the phone number, and I called UPS, and I said, hey, um, do you guys, I wasn't here. Can I please find a way to get my phone? And they said, well, you're just going to have to wait until tomorrow because the drivers are going to be out all day. And I said, okay, that's okay. Um, how about this? How about I track down the truck driver and then I'll just have him give it to me that way. And the guy said, well, that, that's not normally how we do it. And I said, well, how about we try it this way this time? And I could just imagine this guy like, come on, man, like what could be that important? So you guessed it, and I don't know if you know me well enough to know, but I literally chased down the UPS truck. And, and in fact, they ended up giving me his phone number because I couldn't find him and I called back. They gave me his phone number and I agreed to meet the truck driver on one specific intersection. And we met there and he gave it to me. And he said, well, what was so important that you couldn't wait another day? And I said, you wouldn't understand if I told you. I didn't tell him because I was a little bit embarrassed because I realized, like, stalking a UPS truck, there's got to be something wrong. But I longed for this device because at 26 years old, I didn't have any friends down there. I had nothing really. I mean, I had my job, but I didn't know anyone down there, and I thought, this is going to make things better. But we long for things. Now, that's just a funny story about my life that just shows, like, Waiting for something as small as a device that's going to be outdated in like six months after you buy it. Like we long for things in this earth. And then when we get them, it's just like, I guess it was okay. But now imagine when we long to be in the presence of someone we love. When we long to be in the presence of Christ. How much more longing does that bring into our lives? You know, I've tracked down that UPS guy because I couldn't wait another day. But I think sometimes we do that with our relationships with God. I think sometimes when we pray for things, then we then try to, so we try to make those things happen that we're praying for when sometimes God says, well, that's not what I'm going to give you. You know, sometimes we try to force God's hands at things because we don't like to wait, whether it's for, whether it's for prayer requests or something to happen in our lives. We have a difficult time waiting But for those of us who are gathered here this morning, we wait for the day when God will set all things to right. We long for the day to be reunited with those whom we've lost. We long to be, we long for the day when we are reunited with God in his presence where finally everything will just fall into place and make sense. And so the reason we talk about these things during the season of Advent and Christmas time is because it's a time of waiting. It's a time of anticipation and expectation 
It's a time where we focus for four weeks on this longing we have for the world to finally be put to right. So here's the illustration. Waiting and during Advent is a lot like going on vacation, right? So you're going to think about this the next time you go on vacation, right? When you go on vacation, I have a little picture for you guys there. When you go on vacation, do you just show up on that day and everything is planned and everything's ready to go? No, right? When you plan a vacation, there's a lot that goes into it. If you've ever been on a road trip, you will know that it takes a lot of planning. You have to know what cities you're going to stop in. You have to know how much food you want to pack in your cooler and what you can pack and what you can't pack. You have to know how much ice you're going to need. You're gonna, you have to know how much clothes and what types of clothes. And then you decide where you want to go when you're there. Do we want to do this thing or that thing, right? And then the whole family argues about what we're going to do. And then, right, whatever. But you see, when we... <laughs> But when we go on vacation, there's a lot of work and effort that goes into planning for the vacation. And even in that time of waiting, there is something that is very real and tangible about going on vacation. I would say that sometimes even the waiting and the preparation for your vacation is sometimes even more fulfilling because of that joy, that feeling of anticipation and expectation that you're going to finally realize is going to happen. Like sometimes the anticipation is actually better than what actually ends up happening, right? Because we have so much more going into this thinking it's going to be so much better. But when we wait for Jesus during Advent, it's like planning for a vacation, Because even the time waiting up to that is very meaningful. See, that's why we gather at church on Saturday mornings. We gather because we do the the work of anticipating when we sing and when we read scripture and when we preach. You see, church is a gift that is given to us for us to bear one another's burdens and to encourage one another during this time of waiting and longing. Because there is joy in the waiting It may not always feel so joyful when you're waiting for the test results to a physical that you had. It may not always be good or feel joyful when you're waiting for something that is really important. It may not always feel joyful when you're waiting for a healing to happen. But what we've noticed is that when we wait and we long for Christ and we connect with God, something within us changes. And so I want us to look at the text for this morning, and it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open to the book of Zephaniah. It's one of the minor prophets. It's near the back of the Old Testament. It's okay if you look in the table of contents, because this isn't something we normally look at. And so the question that I hope we're asking is, why during Advent are we spending time reading the prophets? You see, because for most of us, we come to church and we long to hear the stories of Mary and baby Jesus and the manger, right? It's everywhere all around us. It's always there. But I think for this year, what we've decided to do is to look at some of the promises of the Old Testament to show us that God has been faithful all along. And so the question we ask is, well, why do we listen to the prophets during Advent? It's because the prophets say what no one wants to hear. And when no one wants to believe. Prophets point in the direction that sometimes people don't want to see. The prophets hear God when everyone else has concluded that God is silent. They see God when everyone else thinks God is absent. 
they feel God. The prophets feel God's compassion for us. They feel God's joy for us. They dream God's dreams, and the prophets utter wake-up calls to every one of us. You see, we listen to the prophets during Advent because they awaken hope in us. We listen to the prophets during Advent because they give us hope when we feel like all hope is lost. And we listen to the prophets because they paint an alternative future. Remember last week we said that sometimes in the midst of the difficult and darkness in our lives, we can't imagine that there is a day when things will be better, but the prophets always saw when the day would be better. So I want us to look at Zephaniah chapter 3, and I promise this is all going to tie up and make sense when it comes to waiting. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 before we really get into this, this, the historical context for what's happening here is all of the kings of Israel had gone away from God. The kings of Israel, the king after king after king, they would go after other gods. They would sacrifice to other gods. They would worship other gods. They really, in essence, went away from God and said, we are not going to worship all these other gods. And as we mentioned last week in the Old Testament, the covenant relationship between the Israelites and, the, and God is that if they did good, they would be blessed. But if they didn't follow their end of the contract, they would then be cursed. And what we find in the book of Zephaniah is these group of people, they had left and abandoned God and gone after other things that they thought would bring them more happiness, more joy. And so what we find, and I know this isn't a popular topic to preach about in church, but there was judgment that was coming on them. And so if you were to read the book of Zephaniah, the first two chapters are this doom and gloom where God basically says everything will be wiped out. Homes you built for yourself you will not live in. Lands that you have will no longer be yours. And so there was this sense of judgment, doom and gloom. Remember, exile. But then in the midst of that, we find this passage of hope that comes directly from God for the people who fear the worst. And this is where we, this is where we start. It says, sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Zion, again, is the city of Jerusalem, also representative of the nation of Israel. It says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Now think about these words. This group of people thought that the end was there for them, that there was no future. This is where they would all end for them. Life was over as they knew it. And the prophet says, no, no, no. Even though you think this is bad, rejoice and God will exalt you. It says, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Now think about this for a second. You see, we often preach grace, right? In the, in the New Testament, it's all about grace. It's all about God's love and his forbearance and God's desire to continually forgive us. And yet in the Old Testament, we find passage after passage. See, the first two chapters of Zephaniah thought, oh, this is it. This is the end. Judgment has come for all of us. And then God says, okay, wait. I'll take away the judgments against you. God has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, he is in your midst and you shall fear disaster no more. This is not the earthly king, but this is God, the heavenly king. And he says, God is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. You know, it's like those movies that we watch, those really suspenseful ones where you think, like, there is no way that they're going to get out of this situation, and then somehow they always find a way out of it. This was like, before there was films, there was the scriptures that show us that God was always in the work and in the business of rescuing his people and rescuing you. 
And it continues and it says, And on that day shall be said to Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, and for us, do not fear. Do not let your hands grow weary. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He shall rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. Listen to these words that are being said. God is in your midst. God is a warrior who gives victory against your enemies. Because remember, in the Old Testament, oftentimes judgment was executed by, a fa- by another army of another nation coming and taking you over and then dispersing you across the entire region. But what this tells us is that God is a warrior who will eliminate your enemies. This is not a passage for you to say, hey, enemy, God's going to kill you. That's not what this is about. This is about God's love and his desire to give you victory over the most dire circumstances in your life. I mean, we could just, we could probably pass around a microphone right now and there would be story after story after story for hours of how God has given you victory in your life over different things. Because this isn't just an old song in the Old Testament of ancient times. This is a promise of God that God will continually bring hope and glory and victory into your life. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. Otherwise, I will, just, I will, I will take away disaster so that other nations will not make fun of you. You have to keep asking yourselves, how is this, where do I find myself in this text? Because sometimes it feels like, well, he's talking about these other people, but really make this very personal and think about this to yourself and says, I will remove from you, David, or any of your names there so that you will not bear reproach. I will deal with your oppressors at the time. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Justice was not being had for some of these people. The kings in Israel neglected people. They only cared about themselves, and God says, this will no longer stand. And at that time, I will bring you home. At that time, I will gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord There is this passage, this biblical theologian, he says, Biblical thought always understands hope as the expectation of a good future which rests on God's promises. True hope is not just wishful thinking, but true hope rests on the promises of God. So why do we listen to the prophets during Christmas time? Because if we were to reduce Christmas time to its lowest common denominator of what really is important about Christmas is a biblical word that we hear all the time. It's incarnation. The reason that we hear the words of the prophets is because they were the first ones to say, do not be afraid. Jesus, or rather the Holy Spirit, tells Mary, do not be afraid for a son will be born to you. They tell Zechariah, they tell Elizabeth, they tell Joseph, do not be afraid. And we always have to hear those words of Jesus because if we're honest, there is a lot of fear that we go through in our lives. But at Christmas time, we focus on the fact that God became flesh. And the passage in Zechariah and Zephaniah tells us that God's presence 
protects and rejoices with us. You see, before the gospel writers talked about do not be afraid, the prophets were saying those words to a people who were constantly afraid. It is repeated over and over in text and in scripture. Because if we're honest, as humans, we are afraid of many things. Sometimes we're afraid that God isn't in our midst. Sometimes we're afraid that God isn't present to us because we feel like God is so far away. We fear that our hands are weak and powerless. We fear insignificance. Doubting that we matter in the course of human history. We fear politics. We fear natural disasters. We fear shame and reproach. We fear that our faults and our mistakes will be discovered and people will judge us for it. We're afraid that we won't have enough. We're afraid that we won't be enough. You see, we listen to the words of the prophet, and I know some of you may say, like, I want to hear the Christmas story. That is the Christmas story. Because we listen to these words of the prophets because they are the ones that teach us how to think about how we wait for God. And so I started this sermon with a silly story about me wanting a phone. And sometimes we put our hope and our longing in things that really are irrelevant. When what the Christmas story and the prophets tell us is to put our hope in the one who will never let us down. The Bible writers and the prophets remind us that sometimes when hope feels lost, God will fill you with hope. That even in the worst and the most dire of circumstances, the prophets paint a new picture. They give us a new imagination of what life could be like with God. So when we think about Christmas, when we reduce it to what it's really all about, is a God who would stop at nothing to be in your life and in your presence, giving you hope, filling you with strength, filling you with an imagination of what life could be like if God is a part of your life. And I know that many of you are here this morning because you do believe in Christ. You do believe in God. But I think sometimes we have to be invited and even challenged to take another step forward and say, I know I believe in Jesus, but I want it to be all out about God. I want all of my life to be oriented and revolve around Jesus. And sometimes we're afraid because we think we're going to miss out on something that we really like. Sometimes we're afraid because we think that if we truly follow God, that somehow life isn't going to be as good as we think it can be. But in reality, when you truly live your life in a way that is all out about God, it'll be better than you ever imagined. It'll be more exciting than you ever imagined. And it will require so much more than you think it does. But in the end, it'll be well worth the effort. And so as we hold on to these words of the prophet, we are reminded that our fears will be dispelled in the presence of God. And as we long and as we wait for Jesus, just like when we go on vacation as real as it feels, our longing for Christ, the hope, the anticipation, the expectation are actually gifts that God gives us to continue to draw us near to him.